good morning again, and um, we're getting to it. We're getting close to the holiday season. Is everybody prepared? Everybody (laughs) haven't even started yet? We we try our best. Try, try, try. But we're in our third week of uh, Advent, and um, this is the 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 week of joy. This is what this week. um, Amen. Um, but if you were reading the uh, along with the lectionary for this this week, you would see that the the passages they were pretty joyful, they were pretty uplifting up until we come to this gospel reading. It's John; he doesn't mince any words here; he gets right to the point. Amen. So we'll get to that. But um, in the first week, we looked at, as I said, we we were been going kind of backwards. We we started out looking at the second coming of Christ. And in that, we looked at how uh, all the calamity and all of the turmoil that will precede uh, Christ's coming, the perusia, uh, that we don't have to worry about all of the things that are going to happen. We don't have to be concerned with digging holes in the ground and stockpiling spam and cheese or any of that. We, Christ, he gives us the imperatives. He gives us the game plan. He says, when you see these things happening, Stand up, lift your heads up, your redemption is nigh. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so last week we looked at, here in this same scene, we looked at how uh, John, he, he prepared the way for the Lord. And, and bringing the people into this posture of repentance, causing them to humble themselves in order to, 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 to repent, not just a... a a ritual act, but they humbled themselves in order to repent. And this is what paved the way for the coming of Christ's ministry, or what will. We haven't got there yet. But getting the people to put themselves in this perfect posture for repentance, it would allow, will allow them to receive the Lord's word. And so this week we're in the same scene, the same setting. And we're going to look at the flip side of this. Because as there were those that came and were wholeheartedly desiring to turn to the Lord, there were also those that were there that were just coming out. And here, John, he's addressing them specifically. And what I want to look at today, what I want to wrestle with, is why? Why is it that, well, you have those that that are in a state of turmoil, and yet they're unwilling to turn? They'd rather wallow in the depravity that they're in rather than turn wholeheartedly to God. Why? This isn't just something here in this text. We do this today. This is something that remains persistent, and it will until the end of time. And so I want to answer that question. I want to wrestle with that today. Um, And so here, as we get into it, in verse 7, It reads, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, as I said, there were those that submitted to John's teaching, those that came out to be baptized, that that submitted themselves to this, this, this immersion in water, something that they required of the Gentiles. And there were those that came out and submitted themselves to that, but there were those that weren't. And here, and if Luke doesn't name them. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us who he's specifically who he's talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
they were coming out as well. And he's addressing them. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee? This, this, this brood of vipers, we can understand this as uh, this generation of, uh, of people that, that, that would spew venomous words from their mouth. Very poisonous, very deadly. That's who they were. And he says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? This Greek word, phwagen, to flee, to, to, to avoid danger. To, 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 to become safe by circumventing harm. And, and, and that's to say that, well, you, you don't deal with the situation head on, the, the clear and present danger that lies before you, you simply go around it. If you are in your home and you're walking and you see something that would cause you to stumble, it would make no sense for you simply to go around it. You would think that you would pick it up so that way the next time when you come across it, you don't trip and fall. And so this fleeing, it, it wasn't dealing with the clear and present danger head on. They were going around seeking to circumvent this situation. They had it in their minds that they, these, these Sadducees and these Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day. They, 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 they lived a little bit more comfortable than the rest of the people. And they perhaps had it in their mind that they were going to maintain the peace with the Romans and with God at the same time. You can't please Caesar and God in the same time. Christ says you'll hate one and love the other. You cannot serve two masters. And this is this this idea of, we've talked about this, of self-preservation. Seeking to maintain one's position or one's safety, one's well-being. Christ tells us the exact opposite will happen to us. Those that follow me, you will be persecuted for my name's sake. You will be persecuted for my name. Those that call on my name, they will persecute you. In the, the first century church, uh, the believers under Nero, this emperor Nero, uh, this mass persecution arose in the church. And Nero, he committed unspeakable atrocities, committed on the church, on believers. And he would light them afire as lanterns, throw them into the Colosseum to be mauled and eaten alive by a wild beast. But what is interesting is that the believers, these Christians, they began to willfully come to Nero and say, hey, I'm a believer as well. I'm a Christian. Me too. Do this to me. And he had become so weary of doing this that he he said, well, aren't there enough cliffs for these Christians to throw themselves off of than rather to come and plague me with having to commit these atrocities? Do you see that? They, they had it in their mind that they, 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 they saw that he was doing them a favor, that they were not trying to preserve this way of life. They'd rather go on to the Lord. And, they, and so they sought him out to do that. This, this past week, I had the privilege and the honor to, I, I got to pray and um, meet with the Pascua family. And Praise God. And you all, we, we've been praying for Dr. Joan for 
for years now, and we know, amen, we know the pain that she endures. And I had been really taking it to task to lift her up in prayer. And uh, they told me last Sunday, they said, well, she's in a lot of pain today. And so I, I, I said, I'm going to go and I'm just going to lift her up. I'm going to lay hands on her. We're going we're gonna to pray her through this. Amen. And so me and Brother Ron, we went and we visited with her. And as we were talking with her, Ron, he looked at her and he said something. He said, uh, if you, do, you, if you, do you believe that when we pray this, it's going to happen? And Dr. Jones, she looked at us, she said, you know what? He said, do do you believe that you're going to be healed? And she said, I'm already healed. I'm already healed. My body has just yet to catch up to that reality. And and that, that that's something that it, I, I will take with me for the rest of my life because as I was looking and, and, and understanding that, that that this is the this is not the reality. This is not really this is not real. Our lives, as we've been baptized in Christ's death, our lives are hidden in Christ, in our God. And when he appears, our life, our real life will appear. Amen. And we, so we struggle with these things. We, we struggle with this idea of self-preservation, of wanting to hold on to things that, that really are of no significance, that really, have, uh, that really do not exist, that have no bearing on any eternal significance. We struggle to let these things go. And this is what I see these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they were struggling with. They were struggling with letting go of a time, of this, of this situation that, that, that God never promised to them. As a mess it was, as it was, I told you that the, the, the nation of Israel was in turmoil. They were being ruled over by these tetrarchs, had been divided in four, these scoundrels, scoundrels. They had this false deity of a man-god as their emperor. The, the high priesthood was in turmoil. And yet these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they were seeking to preserve that state of affairs. And yet they never thought, it never dawned on them that this was not the promise that God had given to Abraham, that God had given to David. And yet they were seeking to preserve a mess not willing to turn from it, willing, wanting to hold on to it. But it wasn't really, this isn't the reality of what God was calling Israel into. Amen. We struggle with these things. We struggle with letting go of things that don't really matter, that things that really have no eternal significance. And, you know, I'd be... I'd be lying if I was to stand here and tell you that I got this figured out, that I, I, I don't worry about things that really don't matter, that I, I don't struggle with these things. I'd be defiling this pulpit if I were to stand here and, and pretend as if that were so, because that is not true. I, I, I struggle. We, we struggle. We, we worry. You know, I think um, just being in this ministry, I, I'm very blessed to have a very, very mature congregation. 
And I say that wholeheartedly. I have been blessed in that I can sit and listen with you and talk with you and hear your stories and hear all that you've gone through, all the things that God has done and have brought you through, all the testimonies that you have, all the wisdom that you've garnered over the years. Oh, God has blessed me with that. At the same time, with maturity, as the body reaches, reaches fully, it's fully matured, there comes, it begins to decline, and so there are issues that you all deal with. And I know um, we, we talk about this when we go into prayer groups, and uh, you like to tease me about it. You say, well, you know, this is what you have to look forward to when you get old. It's not just one thing after another. There's several things after several things that continue to persist. And I, 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 a person could not be an, an honest shepherd if, if hearing all of these issues didn't constantly compel one to their knees. On their hands and knees, lifting you up, lifting up these prayers. And so I can appreciate that because you keep me honest because it, I, I can't help but lift you up constantly. All of the issues that you go with, that you struggle through, that you, that all of them. It keeps me on my hands and knees, but at the the same time, I agonize over this because anyone with half a heart can't help but take on some of this worry. I worry about you. I do. Can't help but grieve when I see the pain that you go through, what you're struggling with. And I know it's irrelevant. I know this is what the scripture says, that that this is not our life, that our real life is hidden in Christ, but yet still. I'd be lying if I told you I've gotten this figured out. I haven't. We worry. But we are reminded that there's no need to worry. Christ tells us that when we see all these things happening, To stand up, stand firm, lift up your heads. Your redemption is nigh. Amen. The word tells us we're worrying about what we're worrying about, what we're grieving over, what we're agonizing over, over things as fate has already been decided. The reality of the matter is that it makes absolutely no sense to worry and to agonize, to to grieve over these things that will perish. We must shed what is perishable in order to put on what is imperishable. Amen. These things, they are, they are perishing. John, he says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. There, there's a time that is coming where what is worthless, what does not bear fruit, will be cut off, cast out, and thrown into the fire. There's a time that is coming where our true lives in Christ will be revealed. Amen. And so the people, they were asking him after John, he explained this. He's, they, they started asking him, well, what do we do? He said, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required, he told them. 
Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Do you notice one thing? Do you notice who's quiet, who hasn't asked a word in this, who hasn't said anything? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they, they don't ask a word. They, they're, they're good. They, 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 there's nothing that they need to do to change because they know these are the religious leaders. These are the holy rollers, those that know it all, those that know the law so well they wouldn't know it if it fell out of the sky and hit them on the face. We see that today. We can get so holy and so righteous that we don't even know that the depravity that we're living in is just a mess. And they don't even have enough sense to ask, well, what should we do? Where are we at fault? How can I turn from this mess that I'm living in? But notice also the people. They're, they're, they're asking, what do we do? And you would think that this is a bit odd because given these professions that they're in, that it would seem obvious what you need to do. A, a tax collector, they were considered sinners by profession. They, they, they were viewed along with thieves and prostitutes because the way they made their living, it was implied that they would do so dishonestly. And the soldiers as well, they, these weren't Roman soldiers. These were most likely Jewish soldiers, perhaps those that guarded or, or, or um, provided security for these, these administrators or these tax collectors. And so you can imagine after seeing the tax collector uh, shake somebody down and squeeze out uh, all that they could, then the soldiers came in and got their piece of it as well. And you would think that it was obvious what they would need to do, what they were doing, but they did not know. We talked about this. It makes absolutely no sense to sell someone to repent, to turn from the mess that they're in if you're not pointing them to someone that they can change that can change them from their inside out. If all they know is their own depravity, turning simply turns back to the mess that they're already in. There has to be, we, we, we have to point them to Jesus Christ. He is the only way. There is no other way. Amen. Amen. But we could look at these, these, these Pharisees and these Sadducees. They, they weren't wanting to rock the boat. They were wanting to stay in, in this, 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 the circumstances that they were already in. They weren't seeking to cause anyone, and they would seek to disrupt and destroy anything and anyone that would seek to do otherwise. They, had a, they were living much better than the other citizens, but they were not living free. And yet they were wanting to hold on to what they had. And I know as devout as we try to be, you know, we, we have difficulty ourselves letting go of things in our lives that, 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 that is worthless, that is perishing, that, that, that has no eternal significance. We have difficulty, we dare not, Ask God, God, what in my life do I need to change? What in my life needs to go? And we'll go so far as to when God removes these things from our lives, we do so kicking and screaming. No, you can't take that. No, that, that needs to stay. I've grown so accustomed to that being a part of my life that, that I don't know what I would do without it. 
And we kick and scream when God is pruning us and when he's removing obstacles, hindrances, that which is not eternal, that which is not significant. We do that. You're too scared and too terrified to ask God to shed light on the things that separate us from him, the things that lead us astray. We, 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 we find that difficult because it hurts. It's not comfortable. We know that as God prunes us, as he cleanses us, it, it, it's, it's going to burn. And as I said in the first week of Advent, you know, people that get so caught up and looking and, 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 and trying to, these doomsday scenarios, so concerned with what's going to happen with, in the future, what's going, how things are going to happen, how, what to look for. We look so far ahead that we forget to look here and now in front of us, to look in the mirror right in front of us, to see what's going on right in front of you, to see that there's things in my life that I need to change. There's things in my life that need to go. There's things that do not, there are not that must not remain. Thoughts and, and, and ways that we go about living, ways that we go about thinking. We dare not ask God to shed light on the things that are of no significance, the things that do not bear good fruit. This is what I see these Sadducees and these Pharisees doing. Verse 16, it reads, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, two things here. Uh, typically, when we look at this baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, we look at these as positives. This is the general consensus amongst believers that, yes, this, this Holy Spirit and fire, and we believe that as Christ, he baptizes us. The, that fire is what's going to cleanse us and it's going to purge us of all of our, uh, our impurities and that's just going to happen automatically. I, I, I can't help but look at this passage and, and, and look at this in this context, the surrounding context, and understand this isn't speaking to one baptism. Look at what he says here. He says that... Um, the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. That which does not bear good fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire. I can't help but read this and see this as a baptism of judgment. Do you see that? What does not bear good fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire. And one thing we need to understand is that the baptism of John and Jesus, they were not the same. John's baptism, he came baptizing. He says it himself. I came to baptize you with water for repentance. John was to prepare the way, to prepare the hearts of the people so that they would turn to Christ. Christ's baptism was one of the Holy Spirit and fire. One that as he laid his own life down for our sins and for, for, so that we could be reconciled to God, we would also die in him. 
And that which was worthless, that which was of no desire would be put to death. That we would be reborn in Jesus Christ. If there is to be rebirth, something has to die. It cannot remain. The old self must be put to death. If there is to be rebirth, if there is to be new life in Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. This, his, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. This here is also this context of separation and judgment. When they would grab these winnowing forks, when they would be on the threshing floor, they would do this typically at night when there was a breeze. And so they would grab these forks and they would toss this weed up into the air. And what would happen was the air, the wind, would blow the, the, the lighter portion, which was the shaft, it would blow it away. And the, the, the heavier grain would fall to the ground. The wind would blow the shaft, this pneuma. Uh, I tell you, whenever you see that wind, that pneuma, you think Holy Spirit. This, as we refer to the Holy Spirit as hagios pneumate, this pneuma. And do you see this parable? Do you see how this is intertwined? This, there will be a separation. The Holy Spirit will separate that which is good from that which is bad. The shaft, that which is worthless, that which was only used, it could only be used for burning, was separated and burned. The grain was guarded and was held. There will be this great separation. And so we can understand this baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire as one of sanctification, of a setting aside, and of judgment. Do we understand it? Do we see that? The time will come where there will be a great separation, where that which is unholy, that which is worthless, that which has no eternal significance, all the, the sin, all of the, the depravity, all of the uh, idolatry, adultery, fornication, malice, strife, grief, all of death, sin, Satan, and every demonic being, they will be cast into the fire. They will be submerged in flames, and they will burn for all of eternity. There will be a separation, a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And those that have been sanctified, those that have been set apart, those that have been made holy, that have been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb, those that have called on the name of the Lord, those that have bowed the knee, confessed with their tongue that God, Lord Jesus, is Savior, will hear those wonderful words. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Well done. There's a song I love when this brother, he says, I couldn't, I, ain't, I dare not sing it. I can't carry a note to save my life. <laughs> but this brother, he say, I, I, I just want to hear him say it. I just want to hear him say, well done. Well done. You can come on in. Well done. There will come a time, a day of great separation. Where all that is worthless, all that is fleeting, all that has no significance, all that does not bear any fruit will be cast out and thrown into the fire.
there will come a time where those that have called on the name of the Lord will be separated and brought into his presence to hear those wonderful, faithful words. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Verse 18, it reads, And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. He proclaimed the good news to them. This is good news. This is good news. This, I know it seems pretty bleak and it seems pretty, it is, for those that refuse, those that reject, those that want to hang on to this life that is fleeting, to all that is unfruitful, to all that God has deemed unworthy. This is good news because there's a choice. We have a choice. And we can choose so freely. He offers it freely. He offers himself freely to whoever would seek to accept it. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone that would hear my voice and let me, I will come in and dine with them and them with me. It is a choice. And we are called to be the light to the world so that those that have yet to make that choice, they will be given that opportunity. We don't just tell them to repent. We don't just say, stop this, what you're doing. We point them to Christ. This is what John did. He paved the way for Christ. The the, the way has already been paved. We simply just show them the way. So with that day, they can hear also those words. Well done. Well done. You can come on in. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I, I, I thank you, Lord, because, Lord, it's your word and it will remain for all eternity. It is your bond. We can stand on it. We can stand firm on it, Lord, and testify of it. Lord, I pray that we would not grow weary of serving you in a time where everyone seems to just want to go astray. Everyone seems to want to lean on their own understanding, Father. Lord, I pray strengthen us, embolden us that we would just cry out to you, O God, and seek to testify to how good you are. You make a way out of no way. Lord, we surrender to you. We pray, Lord, that just embolden us to be the church that you've called us to be. As individuals, as we go out on these streets, as we go out into our, our own personal lives, Lord, that we seek to be the light to those that have yet to bow the knee. You've given us a mandate. You've given us a commission. May we seek to fulfill it. Until our dying day, Lord, may we forever have your praises and your testimony on our tongues. We thank you. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.